Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. I'm Dr. Jaime G. Ragoza, a life coach, psychologist, and your host. Join me on a journey to inspire and transform ordinary lives into something special. Here, we celebrate the unicorns, those who choose not to follow the ordinary conventional path, but rather chase after their dreams and choose the path less taken, making them truly unique. Together, we'll explore powerful life coaching techniques and hear from special guests who embody the spirit of unicorns in their own way. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Finding the Unicorn in You. Today, I have a renowned educational expert, et tech visionary, psychologist, author, and entrepreneur. He is the author of three books that showcase his groundbreaking methodologies in leadership, personalized learning, and emotional intelligence. In addition, he is the founder of Plabook, a multi-million dollar company that uses AI, gamification, and speech recognition to help children learn to read. I'll let him share more about himself and his work. So without further ado, welcome Dr. Phil Hickman. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you allowing me on your show. Of course. So you do an array of different things. It's very impressive. So not only do you have all these different things that you're doing, but you're also a doctor, which is double impressive. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what kind of got you into this field of work and a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, I have uh, actually five, five graduate degrees in, in my doctorate and then working on another uh, MBA right now. Um, but yeah, I did everything in the field of education. Um, I was a, a teacher, a, a school psychologist, assistant principal, director of education. I was a superintendent, an area superintendent, places like Houston, Texas, where I had uh, 300 schools and 210,000 students. Then I was superintendent of Mississippi, and then I was also a national ambassador for United States Department of Education. Then I did some work for Apple and Amazon. I did real extensive work for Oracle in their health tech. Taught myself how to code. Ended up starting a few coding nonprofits for youth. And then I went on and started my company, Playbook, which is an innovative reading technology that uses artificial intelligence, natural language processing, and speech recognition to help children learn how to read. It was just it was abysmal as far as the issue of reading in the United States. 75% of children in the United States read below grade level in fourth grade, but that leads to a high dropout rate. 73% of crime in the United States is created by high school dropouts and 82% of prison inmates have a reading impairment that has just never been corrected. And so I thought it was a, a real problem to solve. And that's why I started. That's amazing. And even now you still see statistics where children are struggling as they keep going through and it, it's still a big problem today. So I think what you did is phenomenal and it is going to definitely push, shorten that gap, I should say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it, it's all the unique problem. The, the way that we address reading right now is we quietly have a child read a paragraph and then answer multiple choice questions. That's actually only reading comprehension. Uh, and so that has nothing to do with basic reading. And the real issue is that most people spend so much energy trying to decode and break down the text that they don't have any more energy to understand what they read. And so we use speech recognition in a unique way that we're able to, or we have a, a patent that we're able to not only hear the speech, but we're able to break it down to the phonemic level. So if a child read the word bat, we can hear bat or the lack thereof, do an analysis of the whole text and really come up with some smart recommendations to help this youngster be successful. That's amazing. And I love that you're using innovative technology that right now everybody's like wishy-washy about AI, but you're using it for good and you're using it to really make a difference in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah. It, it, it took a while, but this is something that I was real passionate about. Really wanted to change the trajectory of, of children's lives. Really, when you look at the statistics that's out there, 85% of jobs that uh, in 2030, 2040, 85% of jobs that will exist have not even been invented yet. Uh, but it will have some aspect of technology and reading proficiency because that little black box in your hand is going to have all the information in the world. And so it's no longer about what's right now, what's popular in school, is that you memorize information and regurgitate facts. Well, all those facts are going to be there. But you're going to have to really be able to proficiently read through the text, figure out what's good information, what's bad information, and critically apply it. And that's going to be your work. No, I completely agree. And these kids are going to be our future. They're going to be the ones creating these new jobs that you're talking about. What we know now is nothing compared to when they start getting to our age. I remember even when we were young, it's completely different. Computers weren't a thing. All of this technology wasn't a thing. So generations come, new generations come with new technological advances and we keep pushing forward. So I really love that this is a very new innovative way to be able to do that. And I think I have a little bit more of a personal connection to this just because I've always struggled reading since I have ADHD and I, I was late diagnosed in life. So I always thought I was the problem. And I did what you said, like what you were saying, it's just memorize a paragraph, doing the reading comprehension of that one little paragraph. But if it came to actually reading a book, I would read it from cover to cover with nothing like actually stored or comp comprehending what I read. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's definitely for a variety of people and it's right now it's making a difference in school systems today. No, that's amazing. So if somebody wants to get into playbook or download it, is this more so for school systems or can individuals download it at like for consumer individual level? That's a good question. Right now we are direct sell direct to school districts. And once school districts purchase it, then parents have a free um, license to it as well uh, for children to do it at home. You can find it at www.playbookeducation.com and playbook is spelled P-L-A-B-O-K.com. Most people say, hey, you have a reading app. Why do you misspell the word? <laughs> but really, it's a multisyllabic word, so the vowel can scream its name. So it's just showing you the complexities of the, the English language. Oh, yeah, definitely. I even pronounced it wrong at the beginning. I called it Plabuk. So you... you <laughs> it can be pronounced that way. <laughs> so you also have three books on like leadership. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I have, uh, well, leadership and, and personalized learning and, and uh, social emotional development. The leadership book is, is really taking uh, people through leadership principles. It really is really looking at the fast changing, how to be flexible in this fascinating world because you're going to have to, the new form of intelligence is the ability to learn, unlearn, relearn because technology has such a, a quick shelf life. And how do you survive in that type of environment where we're used to things being constant, where your job may change from week to week or month to month. You're going to have a totally different task that you have to do, responsibilities for your job that you wouldn't have done before. And so it's just guiding principles to help you, you be agile and, and, and nimble through this. One of the things that I say is that some of the principles of the past uh, leadership, you cannot rely on. This is a new role. And so you're building the plane while flying, but there are certain tenets that, you know, that needs to go across. But the other aspect of it is I talk about education and leadership and education, uh, which is important because. I talk about the research that if the rate of change happens faster outside of an organization than it does inside of an organization, the end is near. 
in education, that's where we're headed. The rate of change of the world is happening so fast. And in education, we're not changing and we're producing terrible products. Like example, 75% of children reading below grade level, that means that's a 20, 25% success rate. There are no organizations that's allowed to function at that failure rate. It's, it's just looking at how to lead through those processes. That's amazing. And I've always believed that change management is a key thing that one needs to learn. If you don't know how to change, how to adapt, how to keep up with the times and how to, instead of seeing it as an obstacle, but more, how can that be an ad adaptation to our organization? That's what's going to lead you to success. And if you choose to stick with the old ways, then you're eventually going to fade out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, and change is important, especially mm -hmm. again, in this new age of technology in the industrial revolution that lasted for a long time. I think we were in the cell phone uh, revolution right now, but uh, now we're in AI. And if you think about it, chat GPT came out in January. They were like in version three by March, like never, mm -hmm. ever has change happened that fast. It's, and it's going to happen even faster and faster. The shelf life of technology is going to be so short um, that you're going to have to be comfortable with change. Oh yeah. And, and manage it well. No, I completely agree. And if we have a list, a listener who is a leader or someone who is resistant to change, what are some words of advice that you can give them to at least start the change, change their mindset? I could just give you examples to go read, read about Blockbuster, <laughs> read about Kodak. <laughs> Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix. Kodak was the first one that came out with the digital camera. But they were sold to their, they made more money off film that they didn't want to leave that core product, even though they can see the change happening. Sears Roebuck was the largest, you know, uh, corporation. Read, read those case studies and you will see how important uh, change is and, and the indicators uh, that are, are telling you um, that you need to pivot and change. And you just need to do a thorough analysis of it. Decision-making right now should be based off data. We shouldn't be in making decisions from our gut. Unless we're in a battlefield, we have so much data that can drive decision-making nowadays that that should be the impetus of our leadership. I agree. And I feel that there's a big gap in between and like practitioners and researchers, people don't, they want to continue doing what they feel is right and what they've been taught is right, but they don't want to look through the evidence-based practices or the research or the new upcomings. And it can be, like you said, the downfall of the organization. I've seen multiple organizations that still, even with, let's say right now with the hybrid work, they're forcing everybody to come back in. They're forcing, they've seen that there's really high results. Productivity levels are going higher. There's more work-life balance, more schedule freedom for employees where they feel happier working from home, yet they still want everybody to come back in person, not an entertaining idea of any type of compromise. And, and like you said, in the face of what the data is showing, and, and, but because people are comfortable and that leadership, those leaders who are, are, are there are the same leaders, just like in a school system. I heard a conversation the other day and they said, this school is terrible. They don't even teach cursive writing. Who uses cursive writing? <laughs> Unless you're writing your name and you can't, even, that's not even legible. Mm -hmm. But the, but teachers like, no, I'm teaching cursive writing. This is a tragedy. Wow. It's, it's just people are comfortable with what they're comfortable with. And those are people that, that will not last. It's, it's like when I was a superintendent, 
I used to tell people technology will not replace humans, but those who use it will replace those who don't. And so, yeah, it's, it's there's a, again, there's a lot of case studies, a lot of examples, Xerox, like everything that we could think of companies in the face of data and it's telling them to change and they stuck by their core uh, beliefs. Now, do you, just something to throw at you, do you feel that individuals who are resistant to change are afraid of it? I think everybody is uncomfortable with change because you have to give up something. Mm-hmm. You have to give up what you traditionally, when I was a, well, I've been a professor for 17 years as well. And man, you have those professors that have the same notes from 20, 30 years. <laughs> they have to do something different. They have to give that up that they're comfortable with, that they know that they can predict and all those kind of things. Yeah. It's, uh, that's the thing of, of change management is that you have to know that people are giving up something in order to change. And that's what's uncomfortable because they're very predictable. There's a lot of prediction of what they're giving up. So fear in a sense is a part of that definition. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I never really, it, now that you say it, it makes complete sense, but I never thought about it, that you're losing something. You're losing a piece of yourself, like a lot of time invested, a lot of relationships built based on that foundation that you're used to. And now to throw it completely away, it's, ooh. Am I comfortable letting that go? Like all that time? Oh yeah. It can be the, difficult. Yeah. Even, even a, just a very simple example. I don't know if you're an iPhone user, but again, the iPhone changes every year. Yeah. Uh, and, and some people are just like, stop. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause they have to figure out where the buttons are again, or, or, or it looks different or, or those kind of things. Yeah. Imagine that at a large scale where it was a part of your life, your livelihood, your job. And now there's, there's a shift in it, but that's going to happen. And when you look at blue collar automation, those things are happening faster than we think. I tell people, even uh, if you look at little McDonald's, McDonald's had, you pull up a drive-thru first, you talk to a robot. If your order is wrong, then it goes to, you talk to a chatbot. If your order is wrong, then it goes to a human, but really they're training it. They're going to, they're going to, that's thousands of thousands, probably millions of voice samples that they now have that they're training. And for instance, there was this robot named Patty and I think his name Patty, but basically it flips burgers, but it only costs $30,000. And so Patty doesn't call in sick. Patty doesn't complain. Patty doesn't steal. And Patty works 24 hours a day and just for $30,000. But the issue is, even though it seems like it's replacing jobs, it's actually repurposing jobs. Somebody has to maintain Patty. Somebody has to a cold patty. Somebody has to go in there and I liken it to, I don't know if you remember Chuck E. Cheese when the token machine broke in. Oh, yeah. Somebody go in there and fix the tickets and, and those kind of things. So yeah, there's going to be jobs, but you have to be able to reskill and be comfortable with reskilling and not a wallow in your mess saying I was replaced by patty. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, yeah. And you have to be innovative and in seeing like what always be thinking ahead what if if you see this trend of, for example, McDonald's trying to replace certain skills, then okay, what can I do to still be of an asset and see what are some holes in the systems that they're going to need me with this skill set to replace? Oh yeah, you're right. And just to be honest, what, what happens to that lifelong patty flipper that could actually lend advice to those who are developing it? That's your own IP. You have years and years of experience and doing that. Yeah. Like you said, it's just being comfortable with reskilling and learning a a new aspect of a job. 
No, I completely agree. Now, I do want to pivot a little bit into more so of your accomplishments. So you're a doctor. That is a big feat. That is something that only a few percentage of the population actually get to do. So how was that process for you and getting that degree? Yeah, one is just flat out a blessing, right? Like I I went to school to play football. (laughs) And I've always been an honor roll student. uh, And it it took a professor my, I think it was my, my, maybe my junior year. And he asked me, he said, are you going to graduate school? And I said, I'm not in that track. And I thought it was something that you enter at, at, at your freshman year. I had no clue. Um, and he took time to just talk to me. It's always a nurturing adult that makes a significant intervention in someone's life. And that's made me want to be that significant foundation in someone else's life. But yeah, and he just gave me the game and, and uh, I just kept going through it. I will always say to myself, two years of my life is going to pass. I might as well get a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, because most people say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it next year. Then I'm going to do it the next year. And, if, and then all these years pass and they have nothing. <laughs> and so I just muscled through. But going to the doctor, again, that's something that you have to change your mindset. I didn't think I, I was like everyone else. Even though I've always had straight A's, I had straight A's through my program. It, it, you just have the mindset that if you're not exposed to people like that, that you think it's something that's not attainable. I did it in a record amount of time before I had all my graduate degrees and my doctorate before I was 30 years old, but still it, it was a different mindset shift for me. And so it was just by the grace of God, really. I love that. And I don't know if you experienced the same thing when I was doing my doctorate degree, there was multiple times where during my literature review or even during my data collection, I was just like, I'm not meant to do this. I give up. Like all those negative thoughts start going into my head. Imposter syndrome start kicking in. Is who the heck do I think I am trying to do this? Did you ever experience something similar to that? Of, of course. I experienced imposter syndrome in my doctorate, uh, being a CEO of a company, being a superintendent. And, <laughs> and like you said, it's, it's, it can be overwhelming at times. And it's just yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you are attacking yourself at that point in time. And believing that you don't fit in or, or, or you cannot accomplish this. Yeah, it, it, I learned a lot and, and learned how to persevere and those kind of things. Those are the soft skills that we actually don't teach uh, that we need to teach. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. What are some things that you did to overcome those thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think one of the main things is, is actually self-talk. Uh, athletes do it all the time, self-talk. I remember, uh, I'm also a psychologist and I remember we would teach kids about whispering shadows because it's that voice that plays over and over in your head, all those negative talk voices. And you have to talk to them. You have to talk to yourself and say, you can do this. You, you're, you're built for this or, or whatever it is. I used to, when I give presentations, I used to say uh, in my mind, I'm too cool to be embarrassed. I'm too cool. <laughs> it gave me the confidence to go up there and with a little swag and to be able to communicate. So yeah, it's self-talk, I think is a valuable tool. No, I completely agree. When I give presentations out in public, for some reason, I don't get the same nerves as I do virtually. But when I'm in person, like I get in my head. So I I tell myself, remember to be yourself, not the person you would think they want you to be. Because I keep, I always adapt to what I'm like, oh, I'm not getting the response I want. So I'm going to change myself. But then I was like, be yourself, be authentic, and everything will be fine. That's powerful. That's powerful. 
Yes, but no, I agree. Self-talk is an amazing skill to have and it may seem silly at first, but it's super like efficient. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, if we have someone who's listening to this that may be going through some of those self-doubts or they want to go into the path that you went and pursue the same career, what are some advice that you can give them to get started? Yeah, I I would say... Walk through that door. If, if a door is open, walk through it because that path has already been determined. And it's just a matter of you persevering and using, utilizing self-talk. Uh, don't let those whispers and shadows talk you out of uh, being successful. I am a normal person down to earth from the inner city, no smarter, no better than anyone else. I just stayed the course. Setting goals, I think it's also huge. Goal setting, I, I set goals and I check them and I, I constantly read over them. And it's for some reason, the research says, you just, you just make your mind and body uh, move towards that direction when you set goals and review your goals. And I would say those things and just, again, expect the impossible. You can do it if I did it. One of the things I used to say is people smarter than me have done it and people who are not as smart as me have done it. So that means I could do it. Like, why not me? I fit somewhere in that. (laughs) But the point is, it's been done by people like me. So Mm -hmm. so I I can do it. Yeah. So that's my word of advice. I love that. I completely love that. And there's something that someone once told me, and it was similar to what you just said. And She said, the more people tend to plan their vacations a lot more in detail and they do their life. Wow. How are you supposed to know where you're supposed to go, where your destination is going to go? If you don't set goals, plan like steps on how to get to those goals and accomplish your life, you need to plan, sit down and plan it. Even if it's a rough draft, even if it's just like a picture, whatever it is, you need to know where you're going. Yep. I agree. I agree. The other thing is hang around people that are where you want to be. You'll find out that just no, it's just normal. That took away the taboo barrier of you not being, I was afraid of my grammar, my enunciation or how I pronounce, or pronounce things. But then you find out, wait a minute, they listen to the same music I listen to. <laughs> it's the same amount of fun as I do and those kind of things. They just stay the course. And don't get me wrong, there's all, always some level of intervention. There's some level of networking. And that's why it's important anyway. They have the keys. They have the keys. They understand there are hidden rules to everything. And once you understand those hidden rules, then you are able to play the game. The Mm -hmm. problem is people are trying to play the game, but they're functioning under different hidden rules. And that's what's becoming a barrier. And that's it. Yeah, I agree. However, just because you don't know the rules doesn't mean you shouldn't put yourself in the game. A A lot of people think that you need to do all this education, all this learning as much as you can, and then you'll be suddenly ready to go in. But half of the battle is learning the rules as you're in the game. Yep. Building or playing while flying. That's my favorite thing. And and you're right. You're never prepared. You're never 100%. You're never, just trust me, never. (laughs) Uh, And that's the self-talk is I'm going to wait until I do this, that, and the other. No, just... Go ahead first. A a lot, I don't know if this is a bad term now, but a a lot of things I used to say is you shoot first and then aim later. Like, you gotta go. You can't just keep (laughs) trying to get 
a perfect shot. It's, yeah, that's some of my model. No, I agree. And then by doing the shot, by shooting the shot, you're at least learning what worked, what didn't yep. work, readjust yourself and try again. And that's exactly. the process. Exactly. No, exactly. that's, that's the best, that's the best advice that I think you could give. Now, going into my last question, which I think we hit a little bit on, which is making unicorns. The whole premise of the podcast is to show people that they have, they can be the person they want to be. They can be that unicorn, that person that stands out in their life and be themselves. So in order for someone to achieve what they want to do, if they have a dream, they have, they feel they have a purpose or they want to discover it. What are the, some things that they can do to start on their path? Yeah, I, uh, again, because of technology, all the information is there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's really a matter of, of doing your homework and, and I, I always say triangulate the data. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't take one data source and just believe that one data source, but you compare and see the patterns of different data sources and you'll get your information on how to move forward, how to take that step. And that's just something that I truly believe uh, that should happen. Yeah. And it's so easy to go you'll look up a YouTube video, ask AI to teach you something. The other day, I was literally like, I was like, how do I make Parmesan chicken? I typed into AI, like ChatGPT, can you like show me step by step on how to make Parmesan chicken? And it did it for me. And we have so many tools that are dispensed like right now, like accessible in our fingertips that there's no excuse why we shouldn't try new things. I agree. I totally agree. No, but this has been such an amazing conversation. My last question before we wrap up the interview, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, has questions for you, or wants to know a little bit more, how can they do? Excuse me. Again, reach out to, look at our website at www.playbookeducation.com, P-L-A-B-O-O-K, education.com. Or you can inbox me at Dr. Phil on LinkedIn, and I'll definitely respond. I'll respond to everyone. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And for listeners, as a quick reminder, episodes come out every Friday at 7 a.m. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And if you go to my website at redgoza-consulting.com, go onto the Unicorn Wall of Fame. You'll actually see, you'll see Dr. Phil on there amongst all the other unicorns. They'll have all the, the links that he mentioned also in the show notes. And on there, it will have a summary of this episode as well that you can read on. But Dr. Phil, any last words of advice before we close up today? Man, this was an excellent podcast. <laughs> Excuse me. It was excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here and everybody until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. I truly appreciate you listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite platform. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep growing. Until next time, this is Dr. Jaime G. Ragoza signing off.